Welcome to episode number 57 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We're creating a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. Today's episode, we're talking about dust explosion risk assessments and how to perform them. And we're doing that with Dr. Russell Ogle, Principal Engineer and Practice Director of Thermal Sciences at Exponent based out of Warrenville, Illinois. Russ has over 30 years experience in fire explosion and chemical safety. He's also the author of a platform textbook in the field, Dust Explosion Dynamics, which focuses on something that's near and dear to my heart, which is the, the combustion science of dust explosions and fires. So Russell, I want to say welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on to talk about risk assessments today. Chris, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. So this follows on a series that we've had over the last couple episodes about a new book that came out, kind of an industry practical guidebook. Uh, Methods in Chemical Process Safety, Volume 3, and that's on dust explosions. In Episode 53, we talked with Dr. Paul Amiot about his and Dr. Faisal Khan's kind of vision of the book. Uh, in Episode 54, we talked with Dr. Ashok Dasadar about explosion and combustion test methods for combustible dust. And then more recently, in 56, we talked about Walter Frank on hazard identification. So this kind of follows on. So Dr. Ogle co-authored Chapter 6 in the book on risk assessment. And he did that with Brenton Cox, also based out of Exponent. And that's what we're going to talk through today. So what is a what is a risk assessment? Why are they important to consider in a facility handling combustible dust? How are they different than hazard identification and kind of what are the use cases for them? And we'll give some examples of when it, you know, is an appropriate thing to do in your facility to move forward. So I want to say thank you again for coming on, Dr. Ogle. And maybe a good place to start is, can you briefly explain your current role in industry and in industries that are handling combustible dust? Sure. Thank you. So um, as you uh, noted, I'm a principal engineer at a company called Exponent. We are a multidisciplinary engineering and scientific consulting company. The focus of the work that we do is largely dedicated to understanding and preventing failures and accidents. We cover a wide range of disciplines. Uh, I am in particular a chemical engineer and working in a group that we call thermal sciences. And what we do in thermal sciences is we are primarily focused on fire and explosion safety. We do a lot of investigation work where we explore and try to understand the uh, the various factors, the causal factors that come into play in causing an accident to occur. And we also then take that, uh, we get from that kind of experience and apply it in hazard analysis and risk assessment. We do that in a variety of, of areas uh, with flammable gases, liquids, and of course, combustible dusts. And the combustible dust, as you know, is near and dear to my heart. So that's been the focus of um, a lot of the work that I've done here at Exponent going on about 17 years now. That's a, that's a great introduction. And as Russ mentioned, he does have this, this previous textbook, Dust Explosion Dynamics, which covers, again, kind of combustion science around dust explosion and fires. It's really a good thing for anybody that's you know, on the academic research track in these industries and wants to understand how that ties back to fundamental science. I reviewed it quite thoroughly during my thesis work and inspired a lot of the the angle that I took to doing my research there. Today, we're talking more about the, you know, the pointy end of the stick actually making facilities safer. In terms of a, a risk assessment, which is the, the topic of this episode, why should a company have a risk assessment performed at their facility? Fundamentally, 
what we're after here is we all, whether you know we're, we're talking about people who are on the consulting side of the business or on the actual manufacturing end of the business, where we're either creating combustible dust as a product, you know, a particulate solid that we want to sell, or as a byproduct that we need to manage. Um, we need to recognize the hazards that these materials compose, and we want to control those hazards to make our workplace as safe as possible. And that can be a very big challenge. One of the things, I guess, one of the points I do want to make is that uh, this is a never-ending struggle to try to make our workplaces uh, safer each day. And one of the sobering thoughts that I think we all need to keep in mind is that even with our best efforts, sometimes a series of factors can come into play that are unexpected and unplanned for, and still bad things can happen. So what we're talking about doing here, whether we, we you know, talk about it at a dust hazard analysis level or we talk about it in terms of risk assessment, what we're after is understanding what are the hazards that are present in my plant, in my, my working facility. What are those hazards? How significant are they? And what can I do to protect my workers and my property? Well, that fundamentally is, is the process that we're after. Now, a risk assessment is typically considered to be a more sophisticated form of performing a dust hazard analysis. Now, maybe another way to say it is that a risk assessment tends to be a more quantitative approach to understanding the hazards and the, con the controls that we want to implement on those hazards at our facility. There are some uh, important thresholds that I think one should cross before one decides to make to do a risk assessment. And the reason why I say this is that while I believe risk assessment is a fantastic tool to help us in the process of managing our risks, um, we also have to understand that a risk assessment involves a considerable investment of resources. So we want to make sure that we put or allocate our resources to providing the greatest possible risk reduction first. And then, you know, as we have additional resources remaining, we then can evaluate the uh, less urgent hazards that we need to be addressed at our facility. One approach for managing our combustible dust hazards is to follow the prescriptive safety standards that are available to us uh, internationally through the ISO standards or the, the, the British EN standards or through the, the National Fire Protection Association, the NFPA combustible dust standards. Uh, the benefit is that those standards come to us with a great amount of historical knowledge. So this based on experience. The potential disadvantage of those standards is that when you're looking at new technologies or new materials, some or you have a situation that doesn't quite fit the scenario that the standard was based on, you don't get a lot of guidance on what to do next. And, and that's where an approach using something like a risk assessment could help. Yeah, that's excellent background. And I, I really like laying it out that way. So you mentioned a, a couple things that I want to kind of circle back on and, and maybe summarize and then and then I have a couple questions about. 
So you mentioned that that option one might be, or an option might be a prescriptive approach based on whichever standards you're covering, so NFPA or international. And the benefit there, and I just want to iterate this, is that there's a there's a history of knowledge there. There's 50, you know, 100 in terms of NFPA years of experience that have went into that, and that's what makes them so useful. Then the the struggle there also that you mentioned was if the situation that you're working in is different than what's you know historically been shown, which is will happen as technologies evolve, then there's not a lot of leeway, and that's where another approach may come in. So you kind of you, you mentioned a couple times already this difference between hazard analysis and risk assessment, and we mark risk assessment as being maybe more complex, more quantitative, potentially more of an effort and an investment. Can we just circle back on on what is this difference between a risk assessment? Maybe in how that ties to a, a dust hazard analysis, and then, or sorry, a hazard analysis, how that ties to dust hazard analysis, and a risk assessment. You mentioned the risk assessment has maybe more effort involved, but what what is the benefit of putting that extra effort in? So yeah, so those are some great questions. So you know, I, I think again, the um, the first thing I want to emphasize is the um, the similarity of our ultimate objectives. Whether we want to uh, simply, let's say, comply with um, the existing combustible dust safety standards that we might adopt, or if we want to do a more formal dust hazard analysis, which is more of a, a, a structured investigation into the hazards as you sort of go from room to room and processing line to processing line, each individual piece of equipment, as you're breaking that down, Typically, what one does in a dust hazard analysis is you, you use maybe as a rubric, a risk matrix, some way of evaluating likelihood and severity of consequence. But um, typically in what I would call either a qualitative fashion or semi-quantitative, semi-quantitative meaning maybe more like a ranking or a very rough estimation of frequency. That can be a very powerful tool. And, and uh, dust hazard analysis, I think more often than not, is probably the first place one should consider going. If you find, though, that you have very little experience that you can draw from, or if there's very little literature that can guide you on how to manage these particular hazards, then you need to find a way to to take a very structured approach to evaluating how hazards arise as the flow of material proceeds through your process. And where are the hazards? How bad are they? What do I need to do about them? And and that's where risk assessment uh, can come in. You know, I think it would be also important to mention that sometimes a risk assessment can complement a dust hazard analysis. So for example, you may find that, um, just to use an arbitrary number, 90% of the hazards at your facility may be very adequately addressed through the dust hazard analysis process. But there's this last remaining 10% that you're just not quite sure if you've addressed the hazards and the reduction of the hazard to your satisfaction. In which case, a risk assessment would give you a chance to do what we sometimes call a deeper dive, to take a more detailed look 
at this particular hazard scenario and ask yourself, you know, how do I go about a more structured analysis? The key oftentimes with a risk assessment is that you will try to use a better source, more detailed source for uh, estimates of the probability or the likelihood of an event, especially if you decompose that event into a series of um, equipment failures or initiating events, you need to have probability data in order for the analysis to be valid and valuable. Um, the second thing you're going to need to have is when we think of risk and we, we decompose it into its likelihood of, a, of something bad that could happen, and then the severity of the consequence. So as you look at the severity of the consequence, that's you know one of the um, motivations behind my, my book, as you mentioned earlier, dust explosion dynamics. You need to come up with quantitative estimates of the severity of a particular incident as you're looking at this scenario. So the advantage of the risk assessment is it gives you the opportunity to take a deeper dive when you feel that the more routine dust hazard analysis or compliance with standards isn't quite getting you to the level of understanding that you're really trying to focus on. I can give you a couple of uh, quick examples just to illustrate the sort of novelty that you might run into. Yes, I think we'll do those examples. Before we move into them, I want to just highlight one other thing that I'm just flipping through the book now, and I have a lot of notes written in the margins. One that just jumped out was the risk assessment may be appropriate when organization wishes to make an evidence-based decision between various risk reduction options. Uh, when I read that, I thought it was a, a really important thing to mention as well. Maybe can you talk about that? How that might be useful to a, a facility as well? Sure. You know, the um, again, some of the decisions we can make in safety can be simply consequence driven. What I mean by that is that we can we can see an opportunity to eliminate a hazard or to possibly significantly reduce the severity of a hazard. Um, using a very simple technology that may be relatively not very expensive. That would be a very attractive situation where you can say simply, I'm going to eliminate this hazard or I'm going to have a significant impact in reducing it by implementing this simple safeguard. There are times, however, when uh, life is not quite so simple and clear cut and we get to situations where we have to make some rather difficult decisions in terms of which safeguard to implement. And typically when we talk about uh, dust deflagrations um, and you know, potentially flame acceleration effects in connected equipment, there can be some, some difficult trade-offs to consider between the effectiveness of being able to implement the technology versus the ability to maintain it and ensure the reliability of the technology. So as you're trying to make these decisions, you'd like to be able to to think that you have grounded your decision in in good evidence and that you have thought about the relative risks and the risk reduction that you might achieve as you consider one potential technology versus another. So the decision-making process um, it, you know, it's, it's 
contrary to what sometimes people think, the decision-making process on how you implement safeguards is not just about economics. Uh, the cost of a technology, of course, is one important consideration, but we need to also consider the effectiveness of the technology. We need to consider the reliability. You know, for example, systems which rely on automated control loops, you want to make sure that the sensor is uh, kept active and is functioning. You want to make sure that the control loop to the system works, that the actu actuator for the technology that's going, whether it's a suppressant or a knife gate or something like that, you want to have a, a confidence that these things are going to work to the level of risk reduction that you want to achieve. So a risk assessment process enables you to make, you know, no, no pun intended, risk-based decisions. And you can provide some level of, of evidence to support why you want to make a decision in one direction versus another. Yeah, really great points there. And I'm happy you brought a lot of those up. So I'm just going to summarize the three that I took out. It may help you decide which safeguard to implement. And I'll add even potentially what order to implement them in, um, what to do first, what to do second, third, and, and fourth. We'd like to think that you could take the whole list and have it all done tomorrow. But in reality, it, it needs to be applied in a, generally in a stepwise fashion. You made a really important point, including maintenance. So not just implementing the system, but how many people hours does it take to maintain it? What's the the ongoing cost of maintaining it, both in terms of time and and also capital costs there? Maintenance is, is very often overlooked. Um, and I mean, we see it through the incident database where you have a, a vent that no longer functions, that's painted over, that's bolted over, that's barred over, or you know, suppression equipment that hasn't been checked in a long time. So that maintenance is a really important piece. And then that's not just economics. You need to take into account, like you said, the reliability the effectiveness, just the overall, you know, level of safety and chance of, of having something not actuate or not work correctly. Those are all considerations that can really be applied through this risk assessment process. So I think you mentioned a couple examples. We, we did talk a bit about consequence and likelihood, some requirements there on needing good data. And then your book provides a lot on the, the severity side, on um, ways to calculate that. And there are some examples in this industry guidebook as well. I remember some estimations on things like heating rates from flash fires and fireballs and different things that are in there. Uh, I think it might be interesting for the the listener if we yeah, walk through a couple different examples of how risk assessment might be applied and then, and then maybe we'll probe a bit into those. Does that sound like a good place to go? Yeah, absolutely. So let's do that. So what's the kind of first example that might come to mind of a, of a risk assessment when it might be the preferred technique? So the... Um if, if I could, let me, let me set up first a couple of considerations that are going to have to go into uh, the risk assessment process and, and then talk about like what kinds of methodologies do you typically follow. So, you know, the first thing I, I would say is that generally there are a number of different methodologies that one can choose from to do a dust hazard analysis. Some of those methodologies are what we call scenario-based. And by scenario-based, I mean that you're, you're picking, first of all, a, a particular either processing line or a particular piece of equipment, and you then develop a scenario which encompasses this hazard that you want to try to um, design for or control. So 
in, in, and sometimes it requires a consideration of, let's say, a sequence of, of events, which may include a failure event or a malfunction of some type. So this idea of a scenario is important because in most risk assessment studies that you would do, you would follow a scenario-based approach. You're going to have um, a specific sequence of events that you want to consider. Um, it may be initiated by malfunction or by some kind of failure. Uh, and then the question you're trying to resolve is, well, what can happen in this particular piece of equipment? And I'll just use, just to give it some concrete you know, nature here, you could think of a dust collector as a good example of, okay, so what are the things that could happen inside my dust collector? And the scenarios that you might consider, I'll you know, suggest four. You might consider what happens if I have smoldering occur inside the dust collector. There could be an accumulation of material that's capable of self-heating and you get a smoldering event. What are the, what's the hazard and what kind of safeguards do you want to implement for that? Now, those considerations are probably going to be fairly different if you ask the question, well, what happens if I have a deflagration? inside the dust collector. That will require different considerations. First of all, what are the hazards that come from that deflagration? And then what kind of control technologies might I implement to protect me from that? And then as a corollary to that, what if I have a flame acceleration event, which you know, in, in very simple terms, many times when we consider the consequences of a deflagration inside a piece of equipment, like a, a dust collector, we think of the, uh, the ignition event occurring in, inside the dust collector itself. And that would be sort of your, your, your normal or ordinary expected deflagration. Things can change quite a bit if the origin of the deflagration is outside the dust collector and actually travels through a conduit to get to the dust collector. That's, that's where flame acceleration can occur and you get magnification of the of the event so that now implies a different kind of hazard and begs for different types of hazard controls so that's why the scenario identification is so important because you in order to to control the hazard you want to understand which hazard are we talking about and and then that's one of the advantages of a risk assessment is that you are forced to be more specific and more detailed and more intentional about how you think about the hazards of a particular uh, portion of your plant, and then how are you going to address those? Now, you then need to evaluate the severity of the consequence, and you need to identify uh, and analyze the likelihood of those um, events. Put that together, and that's going to give you the risk. Now, how do, you, how do you actually do this risk assessment? And, and for that, I would say there's, you know, as we said, there's kind of a, uh, an overlap between the dust hazard analysis and the risk assessment process. And in that overlap, that uh, dust hazard analysis provides an example of that structured approach to sort of think through this process, but usually, the evaluation of these, um, the risk is qualitative. 
and the evaluation of risk reduction from the safeguards that are available also is qualitative. A more quantitative approach that's usually um, affiliated with the risk assessment is to break down the sequence of events that defines your scenario and reduce those to, if you're familiar, for example, with um, event trees, you're essentially mapping out what is the sequence of events that has to occur to lead to my consequence. And then I have to estimate the failure probability, or, or at least let's just say the probability of each of those events. And that gets us then to that, that consequence, which we can then ultimately modify the, the overall consequence by this probability. So you get what we refer to as an expected value. Two basic approaches are out there that can be readily implemented. One is borrowing from the chemical process industries in something called layer of protection analysis in, or sometimes LOPA. In doing LOPA, you're still following that event tree process. You're getting that sequence of events and you have to then estimate your probabilities. The distinction here is that with LOPA, you usually work with orders of magnitude as your estimates for the probabilities. And, and frankly, that's much easier than to do the next example I'll talk about. But if you follow the LOPA, what that does give you is that structure of the event tree. You're looking at that sequence of events. You have a quantitative estimate for your consequence. You estimate your probabilities and you can get an expected value that consequence. Now, the more formal risk assessment as opposed to LOPA, it still has much of the same structure. The difference is in the level of detail or the level of scrutiny that you bring to your estimates of probabilities. And there, you typically would have to rely on either handbook values for failure statistics or published values that you can find in the peer-reviewed literature. Or if your facility has been around for a while, you may have collected enough maintenance data that you can estimate failure probabilities in certain equipment. But the key here that I want to emphasize is that you need to have good failure statistics to base your probability analysis on. If you don't have good failure statistics that are consistent or come from your industry with your type of equipment, you're probably better off going back to a LOPA type of analysis where um, the emphasis is not so much on precision, but it's more on the structure of how you think about the event. Sorry, that's kind of a long answer, so I'll stop and let you ask questions. No, that was an excellent answer. Um, I I was quiet because my my hand was very rapidly taking notes as you went through. Really great overview. So I'm going to give a shot at just summarizing some of that, and then I did pull out a couple of questions that um, I think are, are really important to consider. Um, some are, are are practical, may help somebody right now, and then some of them may be a little bit uh, longer term about how maybe we can get some of this data in that um, that are a little more open ended. But in terms of summary, so we we picked just the dust collector. Um, we have some scenarios, so smoldering inside the collector, deflagration hazard, so a, a, a propagating flame um, throughout a dust cloud, 
that would lead to an explosion if it was inside the equipment or a flash fire if it was outside. Um, and then the case where the flame's coming from somewhere else, if that's inside ducting or inside other piece of equipment and coming through the ductwork, then it would be accelerating, potentially causing pressure piling and some other uh, effects there that, that would cause that to be maybe different than initiate inside. So these different scenarios, what we're looking for is the likelihood of one of them happening and the, the likelihood of different parameters leading up to that, and then also the consequence. And if you combine those together, you can get the risk. So a DHA then, and we talked about this a bit at the very start, what's the difference between a hazard analysis and a risk assessment? A DHA, you're really taking a more qualitative look at those different elements, so the likelihood and consequence of the different scenarios, where risk assessment, we're, we're kind of stepping through and being more quantitative about it. And then the different three different examples that you mentioned sort of increasing complexity and increasing quantitative level. So well, maybe maybe they weren't in order of, of the, the the complexity level, but I'll just list the three that you mentioned. So event trees, um, LOPA analysis, and then doing a full quantitative assessment or maybe a, or a quantitative risk assessment. Was that a was that a good summary of of the of that whole process? It is very much so. Yes. So I have a yeah a couple of questions. That's I think just laying it out in simple language like that is is excellent. I think for the the listeners who who maybe have seen pieces of this or some of them may, may have used you know all of these, uh, but it's, I think it's still helpful to to get that out there. So one of the questions I have is so say we did this analysis on a dust collector. Um, I could picture doing all three of these and say we had the data, and I think we'll we'll talk a bit maybe about where we may be able to get data um, as a community in a couple minutes. But so we do that. Wouldn't like how would that analysis on dust collector A and in, in facility B would that be different than the analysis that was performed in a you know an adjacent facility? Or if they were different, how in what ways may they they look different than each other? Sure, that, that that's a that's a very helpful uh, question because I think there's an expression the devil is in the details, and I think that uh, that's very true. That and and that highlights the reason for doing at a minimum a dust hazard analysis, and and perhaps if warranted a risk assessment for your facility, because dust collectors, as an example, are used in all sorts of industries. But even if you look at uh, the application in uh, two different plants that are in the same industry, the details and the specific arrangement of their equipment, the throughput of the materials, and potentially a uh, something like particle size distribution of the material that's finding its way into the uh, dust collector. All these things could actually be quite different, even though we're talking about uh, essentially the same, you know, two different facilities in the same industry. Just as a um, uh, you know, one, one simple example um, in terms of flame acceleration, if the distance uh, between the processing equipment and the dust collector is relatively short, and of course, there's always a question of well, what do you mean by how short is short? But if you, you can just say between two plants, one of them has a very short distance between processing equipment and the dust collector, it may be that uh, the flame acceleration hazard is, uh, let's say, greatly reduced or perhaps even of minimal concern. On the other hand, the facility that has a rather long distance from the processing equipment to the dust collector provides an opportunity potentially for a significant flame acceleration 
which means a much higher overpressure hazard uh, once the deflagration wave reaches the dust collector. Uh, so there are simple differences, and as uh, simple as the physical arrangement of the equipment, potentially the relative elevation of the different pieces of equipment, uh, certainly the horizontal different distances between them um, can make a big difference. Another issue to consider, again, thinking about the dust collector, is that where is the dust collector located? Now, in, uh, for larger dust collectors, you know, we generally would say we want to see them located outdoors, if at all possible. Sometimes there may be reasons why that's not possible. And, and that would imply then that you want to consider the risk of a deflagration inside that dust collector very carefully if there's any possibility that the area could be occupied by people. But on the other hand, if you move the dust collector outside, you still have to worry about people. You still have to ask yourself the question if, you know, for example, uh, if my chosen safeguard is going to be uh, to vent the deflagration, then I need to be sure that people are aware that where's the dust collector located? Where is the potential venting field outside the dust collector where, you know, without any warning, the vent might suddenly function? And you want to make sure that your people are free and clear of any flame, hot gases, missiles that might be ejected from the venting process. So even though we're talking about maybe two different plants in the same industry, they could have very different considerations in terms of the relative risk that they implement, whether they have a dust collector located indoors or if they have it located outdoors, um, not just looking at their plant and the impact on their employees, but also thinking about their neighbors. For example, if you move the dust collector outdoors and you happen to be adjacent to, for example, an elementary school, well, moving the, the dust collector so that it's close to the playground would be a very bad idea. So, you, you know, again, there's a lot of specific details to consider as you're thinking about your hazards, but also thinking about hazard controls. You, you want to make sure that your hazard control does not transfer the risk to somebody else. Excellent points there. And we, we did cover way back in episode four of the podcast, the Nova Scotia Dust Collector Safety Program, um, which highlighted some of the, the issues with improper venting in public, potentially publicly located um, locations. So, you know, at picnic tables and, and to areas where, where you can have, uh, have the public. So that's not good. Um, I thought about a couple other, just as you were talking. So we talked about location, distance between equipment that would change. And you gave some other excellent examples. Three that just kind of came off with the top of my head, as I wrote down here were you, you mentioned particle size, but say if you had a, a grinding operation, and you had dust collectors both upstream and downstream or a piece of equipment, say a cyclone upstream and downstream, you're going to have a very different particle size in those pieces of equipment. So the assessment would be different in each. Same with increased temperature. So if you're running your operation at a high temperature and the facility next to you is at a lower temperature, then that's going to be, you know, your likelihood is going to be different. Your different ignition snare is going to be different. And hybrid mixtures as well. If you were running with 
cases where you have uh, flammable gases going through your system as well, then you know it's going to be a different set of hazards. So I actually, when I asked that question, if they would be different at the start, I wasn't anticipating the different ways that they they may have a different assessment. But after hearing you talk and then writing down some brainstorming of my own here, you know, that's the whole purpose of doing this activity is that they are going to be different. Well, and, you know, I think another important point here is, um, you know, in answer to the question, why do a risk assessment? And, and you know, as a, a corollary, why do a dust hazard analysis? And I think the, the, the simple answer is, you know, number one, of course, we talk about the importance of this so that we can identify, evaluate and control hazards. Absolutely. But as part of that process, there is, uh, especially if you, if you invite more of a, a, a team sort of facilitated process where you get people from your engineering staff, operations, the maintenance staff, as you, you bring these people together to help uh, implement this process, there's a tremendous educational opportunity and a, a terrific opportunity to exchange experiences, to exchange knowledge, and, and that makes for a stronger safety program at the company that's performing this, um, this analysis. And uh, I, I think that that's a, a point perhaps that I have not yet made that I think is really very important, is that this is not just about the math. You know, what this is really about is it's about education and, and helping your employees understand what the hazards are in the workplace and, and why we do things in a certain way. Why do we follow certain procedures? Why do we have certain maintenance schedules? And, and, and why is it important? You know, the, uh, the simple example of making sure that the flush water can uh, keep the fire eye sensor clean so that the ember detector is working and can shut down the system if it detects an ember. Understanding why that reliability issue is so very important to the plant, I think is an opportunity for education and to get everybody on board, so to speak, with understanding what it takes for them to protect their facility and to protect each other. Yeah, I think that's a really important one. And just like you said, we can come up with a prescriptive set of rules, but if the the why and the reason behind them aren't understood by, you know, by workers at the end of the day or, or managers or whoever's taking control of that system. The problem is that if it takes any extra work whatsoever <laughs> to maintain or, or have that go, they're, they're not going to do it unless they understand why that's, you know, that's at, at the end of the day. But if you can explain, you know, why and the reason behind it, which can be part of this whole process, then you have a lot more, a lot better chance of someone actually putting in a little bit extra effort. And I think back to the Westray coal mine explosion in 92 here in Halifax, they disconnected the methane sensors because the things were making too much noise. So if you, if you, you know, you don't have to look any farther than that to see a case where if the effort level is above zero, then you really need to have a good, strong why in behind um, getting people to do things. In this case, the methane sensor was going off because the methane levels were too high, but it was a nuisance and, and just shut off because the, the risk wasn't perceived. And there's a whole system and hierarchy of, of issues there that, that led to that decision. But at the end of the day, that decision was made and continues to be made around the, you know, around the world and, and having tools like this where we can actually educate are, are of the utmost importance. So 
I think that's a, a really important place and maybe even the place we'll, we'll leave off this and uh, this episode because I, I, I think this has been an excellent review of, of just the risk assessment process, what the differences are between doing a, a hazard analysis and maybe a more qualitative look and then doing a deep dive into the, the quantitative risks, understanding the risk involved. Um, so I think we'll, we'll maybe close it off there. Is there any, any closing remarks you want to make on this topic that you think the audience hasn't heard yet that they, they should before we close out? You know, I guess my, uh, my, my final word is that um, we, we need to always realize that uh, this is a process that's never done. You know, there's always more work to do. There's always opportunities for improvement. And uh, risk assessment works best when uh, everyone is open to that idea of, you know, finding better ways to do things and ways to improve uh, the safety at their facility. Yeah, I think that's an excellent place to leave off. So I, I want to say thank you again, um, both for, you know, coming on today and talking and then, you know, your your extensive work in this field. As I mentioned, uh, it, it played a, an important role through my my PhD research and the, you know, was combined in with the other 500 papers I read during the, the seven-year process to come up with my understanding of, of, of dust explosion science. So, yeah, I want to say thank you again, and I look forward to the chance of getting you on the podcast again in the future. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate the invitation. Okay, we'll be talking soon. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Dr. Russell Ogle. We've been talking about performing dust explosion risk assessments. And we really talked about, you know, what is a risk assessment? How does it compare and contrast with uh, hazard analysis, something like a dust hazard analysis, or a maybe a checklist approach or something that's more prescriptive based? You know, what are the differences? When may it be good to consider a more deep dive into the, the quantitative risks involved. We talked about likelihood and consequence and how they're combined to understand the risks. And we, we really talked about the different options that you can use to do this type of assessment. Um, we talked about event trees and layers of protection analysis and full QRA, quantitative risk assessment analysis, as different options. These are probably topics in, of, in and of themselves for the podcast. And they're, you know there's very detailed textbooks and things written on these topics alone. But the, the purpose of this episode was really to introduce you to the topic as a whole. There is a you know a good coverage in the Methods and Chemical Process Safety book on this topic written by, by Dr. Ogle and his, his co-author there. And they do get in, into some of the details, but I think it's actually presented in a way that is palatable by you know somebody just coming into it as well and pointing to where people can go next. So it's great to have Dr. Ogle on the podcast to talk through that. The show notes will be at dustsafetyscience.com slash 57. We'll have links to the book as well and, and the resource page, which has uh, all the other you know textbooks that we have access to in the field, including Dust Explosion Dynamics. And I just want to make an announcement that we are now have been officially open to general admission for the Digital Dust Safety Conference now for about a month at the time this is coming out. Uh, and we're having a lot of people piling in. So we are recording this actually a little bit early, um, but it looks like by this time this comes out, we'll have at least a couple hundred people involved. Uh, both, uh, you know, presenting maybe maybe fifty or sixty, and then uh, you know, well over a hundred people by now that have, have registered to attend. So, really looking forward to seeing you as a listener inside there. Um, you can find out more information at dustsafetyscience.com/ddsc for Digital Dust Safety Conference um, and all the information on getting registered and being involved in the the event and the conference and getting access to all the presentation replays. All that information is there. So, I want to say thank you again for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. As always. We have a safe and productive week ahead, and I'm really looking forward to 
um, continuing to bring you experts from the field and bring you information that can help you do a better job in industries handling combustible dust every day and making these facilities safer. 